Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Go! <laughs> Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over at his house there. Hello. That's Vanessa over at her house there. Hello. I'm Kelly. Vanessa, why are we doing another remote episode? I got <laughs> I got the, the vid. I got oh, the Kobe's. Oh man! Yeah, so that, that's what it was. It was. I'm. I'm glad that we uh, were remote the last time that we were doing stuff, and I'm glad that we're remote today. Um, it. Uh, we we all went to Crypticon, and we were all in the same hallway. And out of the three of us, I was the one with the short straw. So. Yeah, there but pretty go. much everyone I know in that hallway got COVID. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had had COVID earlier, so I think that must have been what protected me. Eric, I don't know what your excuse is, how you managed to miss it. I, I don't know. I'll keep going with it, I guess, as long as I can. I figure, you know, it's relatively inevitable at this point. But uh, yeah, it does have that feeling to it. I will say um, <laughs> there's definitely a special pill that you can get that apparently helps but you have to have it within the first three days of symptoms. <laughs> and on day three, when I talked to my doctor, cause I finally gave in and was like, I am really sick. I need to talk to somebody. <laughs> uh, she was like, yeah, it's too late. Sorry. So, uh, yeah. so enjoy. Yeah. enjoy the full blast of two weeks of hell. <laughs> I hope you like it. So, well, well, my mom also had it, uh, you know, she had a very light cold. She's 85, Vanessa. Not sure uh, what she's doing better than you, but apparently everything. Life. She's doing life better than me. I don't know either. I have no idea. No one's... I mean, a couple of people that I know have had it pretty bad, but most people I know, it's been a pretty light thing or asymptomatic and um, whatever the strain is and however my body is, it just didn't do well. And then I thought, I thought I was past it. And last night I tested plastic and it didn't come up as me having it anymore, but I still gave it to, uh, my fiance Austin two days ago. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so a week and a half in, I was still hella contagious. <laughs> well, that's how it goes. Speaking of my mom, yeah. she had, she had called to, uh, let me know to give you her congratulations on your mm. engagement. Aww. But also she, she told me a little story of how she had, uh, walked down the hallway to her doctor's office and there was a different guy sitting in the doctor's chair with his feet up on the desk. And she was kind of surprised and he was kind of surprised to see her. So he took his feet down really quick and gave her a guilty look. And she said, she didn't even think about it. The first thing that came to her mind was, Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, I love that so much. Uh, nice to and know that we're uh, reaching people. She also bought us some pizzas. Oh, a nice little, uh, love seeing you live and congratulations to Vanessa. That was her note. Oh, on it. that's so nice. Uh, mom, well. <laughs> mom, stop giving us money. The rest of you take a page from my mother and give us money. 
There you go. Honesty. <laughs> yep. Uh, speaking of people who have given us money, uh, Micah <laughs> donated and asked us to uh, talk about a particular film. Yeah, that's did right. We all, did we all see it? Yeah. You know, <laughs> we did the five-star challenge thing for a while. It's been a while since I've been challenged to watch a crappy movie. This Ooh. one was worse than any of those five-star challenge films. Really? You guys. I mean, I rewatched it, and this is probably my third watch through. But, wow. So you hated it. Let me uh, let me set the stage for the listeners then. Yes, he, he, uh, Micah asked us to watch G.I. Joe, the movie from 1987. Um, no budget or box office because it went straight to video after the failures of Transformer, the movie, and My Little Pony, the movie. <laughs> uh, the Rotten Tomatoes critics have it at 43%. The audience has it at 65%. I have to agree with Eric. That feels very generous to me. Yeah. Uh, it was directed by John, Don Jerwick who is the producer of just a ton of cartoons from 1976 to 94. And including, he was the supervising director of all 24 episodes of Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Any which episode of one of that is better than this entire movie. Yes, you guys. <laughs> it was written by Ron Friedman, who's done a ton of TV from the 60s to the 90s, and a lot of cartoons in there. This movie is a fucking mess. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put out there first, first off, if I don't know if Micah loves it, but I was never much of a fan of the G.I. Joe cartoon mm. at all. Yeah. And whatever was going on in this film with the plants and the... I, I have to say, I'm right there with you. I was like, I, I don't know any of the history of what happened before this, but Cobra Commander is no longer commanding the Cobras, I guess. Yeah, he was like the second in command, it seems, to that other guy who's part snake. Serpentor. Serpentor. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think um, I didn't watch G.I. Joe as a kid. In fact, I hated the toys because my brothers had them everywhere and I thought they were stupid <laughs> and boring, just like they're Legos. Um, <laughs> but uh, watching it, I mean, I don't know. It's so weird. It's not, I, I guess I know what the normal cartoon feels like enough to know that this is just so freaking weird with the plants and with the viscera and like eyeballs and people flying bugs and goo. It's so bonkers. I think that that's something I really like about it. The Serpentor character felt like he should have been out of He-Man instead of G.I. Joe. He In did fact, have a little bit of a He-Man feel. All of the... All of the Cobra Law instead of Shangri-La. All of the Cobra Law people were more like uh, like He-Man characters. I, I guess I didn't realize that G.I. Joe had gone so far into uh, fantasy sci-fi. I don't know if it does. I don't know if it does outside of this movie. Because like the whole Pythona thing and like, yeah, all the all of those, all of that isn't a regular part. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think what helped my opinion of it, if you were, is okay, I hadn't viewed this. And I got up at like six o'clock in the morning on Saturday. Oh, very, very Saturday morning cartoon. No kidding. But uh, that didn't help, probably. I think if I'd watched it at 10 o'clock at night after enjoying some recreational something or other, I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. <laughs> but, uh, whew, boy, that's not a great way to start the day. <laughs> Yeah, I 
I thought there was some stuff to like in it. You know, the monster plant stuff was kind of fun. It just felt so out of place. And then I, I was like, this is clearly a movie sequel to whatever is going on at the time in the series. And mm. I didn't watch the series, so I was lost with a lot of these characters. Oh, for sure. Um, is Don Johnson a regular on the TV cartoon? I don't know. And, and where Which was... character was he? Um, Falcon, Lieutenant oh, I think, Falcon. I think Falcon was a new one. So every time they were like... Because Falcon's the brother of somebody... <sighs> Hawk, right? Hawk. <laughs> so I think Hawk, they were just Hawk, like, Falcon. Mm. how many new action figures can we make in one yeah. movie? Because all the new recruits and stuff, like the blind girl, like those are in Pythona and like all of her crew. I think these are all new action figures in which they get to sell, is my feeling. So Falcon felt like a add-in as well. Um, where was Snake Eyes? <laughs> I, I was just going to say, in fact, in my notes here, it says, where the fuck is Snake Eyes during this movie? <laughs> Was he not as popular in the cartoon era as I thought he must have been? No idea. Did he come later? Did he? Was he he dead? Maybe he he died. (laughs) Really early as one of the characters. He's one of the. I think he's one of the originals with Scarlet and um, Sergeant Slaughter doing Sergeant Slaughter. (laughs) Yeah, I think Slaughter came later because wasn't he he like a wrestler? Yeah. That sounds about right. Uh, Speaking of people dying. Um, Duke clearly dies in this and then they um, they cover it up with a line of dialogue he slipped into a coma and <laughs> it's like oh okay because then at the very end uh, they we find out over a radio transmission that he's come out of his coma and uh, Don Johnson with a or falcon with a tear out of his eye whispers yo Joe <laughs> <laughs> I was like well okay that just about made it worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I was w- w- with the opening song. Yeah, the opening I was ready to good. go with. Okay, this is going to be bad, but a lot of fun to watch. I wish it kept that weird energy that that had had because I did. I the opening credits with the song going and all that stuff. I just thought was kind of a hoot. Yeah, and it's like. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, ironically, that opening segment was way more fun and interesting than any of the set pieces in the movie itself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's incredible with like the Statue of Liberty and fireworks and the Cobra, and then all of a sudden the Joes show up. Like, that's beautiful animation as well. Somebody really cared. I really thought that opening segment animation was really strong, and, and it did set me up for set itself up for failure, I guess, because it was so strong that it couldn't, couldn't follow through. Uh, Micah, normally you are giving me movies that I've never heard of and that I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty great. But uh, I got to say, I think this one is not for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see how it could generate a wild cult following of people that just love the insanity of it, but not, not being a big enough G.I. Joe cartoon fan to begin with maybe just just wasn't going to be that for for us apparently right yeah well well. um yeah it was still a super fun watch uh to an extent definitely now you guys have been exposed to another nice little set piece from the 80s because he gave us transformers (laughs) the movie too right yeah so which is my guess as to why um what's his name didn't die because of the whole 
childhood trauma from Optimus Prime. The backlash, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes I me feel wonder. Like... Makes me wonder who they tried to kill in My Little Pony the movie before they. Oh, <laughs> that movie, no, I don't remember. I think I saw it when I was like four. But <laughs> from me, this movie gets a big fat. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, no. Out comes oh, the God. whistle. Uh, okay hey anybody got the new traffic report let's get a uh, weather and, uh, traffic on the nine <laughs> uh you guys i am watching the new obi-wan series anybody oh, else sure. yeah. yeah absolutely uh how do we feel about it by the end of the third episode i'm going okay i, I am looking forward to seeing where this goes now but uh First two were a little like... hmm. Yeah, the Leia character, unfortunately, the lines they wrote for her, I don't know that the actress is bad. I don't know that the... I I don't know that the dynamic had to be bad, but I think they wrote a really shitty set of dialogue for a little girl to be like, we're running away from this horrible thing that's after us. (laughs) Make me float. (laughs) Like, I was like, I'm going to fucking murder you. So (laughs) (laughs) she just was so irritating at every, you know, like constantly just being like gum on your shoe, just constantly like slowing the plot down, bringing it back, bringing up irritating sickly moments of nonsense. I just, uh, I couldn't handle that. The first two episodes I was like, uh, I did not sign on for a precocious Princess Leah miniseries. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really thought I was going to get something different. The third episode, much better. And even yeah. she, I, I thought was much better too. Yeah. But yeah. there is a real problem in the directing and the editing and the photography of this show. The editing of her running away from these three grown men who were being stopped apparently by just a branch in front of them all of a sudden, something yeah, like that. And they're like, oh no, they, <laughs> we yeah. can't walk around this branch. I was like, I'm sure this could have been edited in a way that looked like she knew the ins and outs of her forest way better than they did. But yeah. it it just looked so bad. And that's after seeing, you know, that stupid motorcycle race on Boba Fett. So, you know, we have seen some really bad shit and this was still somehow worse than that. Uh, The photography reminds me a lot of Stargate SG-1, which is not a compliment. And uh, there's some surprisingly bad acting going on in there, even by Ewan McGregor. So I I don't know what's going on. The whole, you know, the, the big reveal in episode three was cool. Undoubtedly yeah. cool. But yeah. uh, I was like, this should have been a final episode thing or something like this. When you when you throw this out this early into a series, then where else can you go now? Right. That's why I'm curious. I'm curious where they're going to go now. It's like yeah. you've set up something big. So are you it's only six episodes, so right. there's only uh what three more. Three so more. But uh, I did. I did like the last one. I especially liked. Hey, this is actually a villain. Yeah, almost, almost too too much of a villain Mm -hmm. for the reputation he has in a new. You know, in the beginning of the movies. uh, You know, he saw he was softened so much. uh, The greatest villain in movie history. Not by the end of. I, I would say, yeah, I love that they got Hayden Christensen back, though. 
Um, because he's playing the physical version. And I did they get James Earl Jones to yeah. yeah. I, I mean, that was a surprise to me because I was when I first heard his voice, I was like, Jesus, who's doing this? This guy's yeah. spectacular. <laughs> I looked it up and I was like, oh, no wonder. <laughs> um we'll we'll see. I mean, yeah, he Vader comes off very much like the Hayden Christensen character we got in the prequels. So I guess that, you know, 10 years later, that makes sense. He is not the Vader we're going to get in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Maybe him being kind of a a pissy, I'm going to walk through town and and crack necks as I go by and shit like that. Maybe that feels appropriate because of how we got to know Anakin Skywalker and what a big fucking crybaby he was. He did slaughter a whole bunch of kids. No, I I get that. (laughs) But what we have to remember is all of this has to lead to a redemption arc in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And if you make him too evil, his redemption doesn't, isn't enough at the end of Return of the Jedi. Right. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, I, I have to say, you know, it is a sad, sad world in the Kelly Young household when I'm looking forward more to the next episode of Star Trek than I am to Star Wars. Oh, so good yeah I, are you which star trek are you talking about i feel strange in the world so I, yeah. I can yeah i haven't made it past two episodes of any other star trek ever so don't bother don't bother unless you want to get to the pike part of strange new worlds um well I mean, discovery <laughs> in discovery I mean, parks, sorry pikes pikes right there at the strange new worlds <laughs> yeah sorry brain just you know I'm still covid so feel bad <laughs> sure, for me. Sure. Okay. All right. Um, well, I want I just, to... I just heard my mom roll her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody experiences it different, okay? Some of us have it harder than others. Gosh, I, I really want to talk about Strange New Worlds, but I also want to talk about something else I saw. So I'll talk about something else I saw. Um, I got, had the opportunity to see... Uh, the movie RRR. Oh, the uh, uh, the not Bollywood, Bollywood, like but Nolly, sort of not not, not Bollywood, but, but something in there. I want to see that one. That looks batshit crazy. It is the best action buddy movie I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> Please see this movie. I cannot begin to describe. This is the most insane film I have seen in probably years and so much fun. So yeah. uh, it's definitely long. It's got two parts to it. It's the story of kind of a revolution in India fighting back against colonists, but with song and dance and a lot of action and a lot of death and a lot of explosions and two unlikely friends who are just such good friends. It's it's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Ugh. The best the best part about the films that come from that region of the world is not giving a fuck about physics or nope. any laws yep. of the universe is the way things work. And, and going for it, yeah. like a hundred percent. Everyone's like, yep, let's just go. Let's like tie a grenade to an arrow and shoot it and blow stuff up. Like, why not? It's they're all, they're very much superheroes within this and super villains, but it's, uh, it's insane, but in a really fun way. I, uh, 
I'm not familiar with this movie, but I think I saw something that must be related to it. Is there something where he's got like a tiger in a net and he's yes. holding that? Okay, that's from yeah. that. Okay. Yeah, that's what I, I, have to, I have to say that looked pretty wild. Yeah. You would love it, Kelly. Uh, oh. it's, it's title in American is uh, Rise, Roar, Revolt. And in every language, it's some version with three R lettered words that are similar to that. And it actually stands for the three... Um, main names attached to the movie, which is uh, a, two very famous actors and a very famous director. So for them, it's like a Spielberg, Streep, Hanks production. It's like a big, heavy <laughs> hitter, the three top of the tops, putting them all together. Wow. Okay. This was in the theater, right? Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it did a really good theater run, and then it came back um, last week and did an additional date because it was so popular. You're saying the, it did better than the re-release of Morbius? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. Is that a real thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the studio fell for some BS online meme break, thing. Do the Snyder Cut kind of thing and released it in the theater. And I think it did like 80 grand or something like that. It, it was, was just, really bad. Wow. You guys still haven't figured out the internet, have you? <laughs> Holy cow. Um, one other thing, Vanessa, you said it's in two parts. Is the second part available or? Yeah, it is. So um, it's it's just such a long movie that typical of Indian films, they have an intermission in between. Oh, okay. So they give you like 10 minutes to go and, you know, do whatever you need to do in the theaters or, you know, go get your popcorn, go, go do this or do that or whatever. So it it, it is nice. like you see a whole movie and then you leave and come back and watch a whole movie. Wow. So, <laughs> pretty cool. incredible stuff. Nice. Pretty incredible stuff. I saw just one in the theater. It was only one film and didn't have an intermission, but I enjoyed the hell out of it, which was the new Top Gun. Oh. Oh. Top Gun Maverick is everything you would hope it'd be. Really nothing more, but that's okay. Because it is, <laughs> it is uh, A to B, a fantastic understanding of what the original Top Gun was and what made it popular and reproducing it with a little bit more flair and a modern take, but still it could have, it almost could have been done three or four years after the original. It <laughs> is such as, except for some of the storylines, but it's such a solid fun sequel. And uh, the theater I saw it in was, was packed and had cheers. Yeah. Had people, like what the some of the final the last half hour or so of the film had this guy nearby going oh whoa whoa <laughs> there's a lot of that going on it was it was fun just... one of the pieces of news that has come out after that opening was that this was Tom Cruise's first 100 million plus movie opening yeah and really? I, I was like I was like is that true I would have thought the Mission Impossible movies had done yeah. that kind of business but I guess not and it was a a big opening. It was like 156 million for the weekend. Yeah. Oh my God. That's incredible. So, yeah. In a weird sort of related story, because it's the original movie. I was reading something about that. And there's a story in the middle of the article that's talking about when they originally shot the very famous volleyball scene. Mm. The studio was mad as hell because it was supposed to be a quick get some shots, be done with it. And Tony Scott shot it as a full day. They were mad enough. They considered firing Tony Scott <laughs> from the movie. And then of course, per usual with people that aren't on the creative end of movies, that becomes one of the most famous scenes of the film. 
Right. Yeah. You know, everybody knows what I say, what I say. You know, the Top Gun volleyball scene. Right, right. <laughs> and they do, they do have sort of a recreation of that in this film, too. Oh, sure. I was going to say, is there a different homoerotic scene in this yes, one? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, very cool. I'm looking forward to that. That was the movie I remember when that first came out, you know, the first one. Um, one of my buddies joined uh, the Navy right after that, right after that movie, because they had they had Navy guys stationed out there for you to sign up and join after the movie. And he did was a recruiting tool. (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah, (laughs) I'd say the new one is as well. (laughs) Uh, I found out I lost touch with him and everything, but I found out many years later that I don't think he uh, completed his Navy thing. whether he was honorably or dishonorably discharged, I don't remember, but he lives as like a mountain man in the middle of nowhere now. And uh, back then he was, he was very, his family was very uh, religious and uh, you know, it was the eighties. He was all about the eighties. So. Wow. That story is incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, this guy. All right. Yeah. Mountain man uh, running away from uh, the military of which he was running away his Christian 80s upbringing. Right. Jesus. <laughs> uh, okay. How about we take a break, you guys, and uh, come back. We'll talk about, um, I'm not sure what we're going to call this one, Universal Monsters Now or something like that. Turned. Uh, this was my topic, you guys, and I, it was um, it was trying to figure out a way to uh, do a universal one of the classic Universal monsters like Dracula, or Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Invisible Man, Wolfman, or the Creature, but find them in a more contemporary movie. What I was hoping was we wouldn't get a remake of one of those movies, but something where one of those classic monsters has shown up in a kind of new movie. So with that in mind, I chose Dracula Untold. I have been waiting an eternity for a man of your strength. What kind of man crawls into his own grave in search of hope? A desperate one. The Turks threatened to destroy my kingdom. They're almost here. I want the power to save my people. Save my family. Your salvation is in the dark and all its power. Welcome to your life. You will have the strength of a hundred men. And dominion over the night and all its creatures. At what price? You have no idea. But I'm going to show you. What's up? 
happening to you? I chose this. Why? Because men do not fear swords. He is coming. They fear monsters. in theaters you did wow. yeah <laughs> okay I don't have a lot of memories of it but <laughs> I, I you know what i'll just uh spoiler alert i wish i had seen it in theaters i like this movie oh good nice. um it's from 2014 budget of 70 million box office of 217 million whoa the, yeah the rotten tomatoes critics give it 25 percent. the audience gives it 58 percent, and i'm like what did you guys want? There, there was everything you could want in a movie, except horror. This is definitely not a horror movie. Mm. Directed by Gary Shore, who had a segment in the Holidays Horror Anthology, and he has the upcoming The Queen Mary movie. This was his first feature film. And I was trying to figure out how Universal gave this movie to a relative nobody. Mm. Written by Matt Sazama and Burke Sharpless, who wrote Gods of Egypt, The Last Witch Hunter, and Morbius. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. It hurts. These, these guys are responsible for a lot of shitty movies, but I do not consider this one. Uh, in fact, if you're looking for a vampire movie to go see, and you're thinking you got to go to that Morbius re-release, I would say skip it and watch this for free on Prime. It stars Luke Evans, who was Owen Shaw in the Fast and Furious movies six and seven. Oh. He was high. He was in High Rise and The Hobbit and The Alienist. Uh, just a very recognizable young man, very handsome. Uh, Dominic Cooper, our favorite. He was in Preacher, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, and that one time I swore up and down to, to Vanessa that he didn't play Howard Stark in the first Captain America movie. So. <laughs> and also <laughs> also Sarah Gaydon I believe is how her name is pronounced or Gaydon uh, 82 credits she was in Vampires vs. the Bronx The Amazing Spider-Man 2 11-22-63 you guys ever watch that series 11-22-63 yeah. Yeah, based, based on a Stephen King book it was, was alright okay so this movie starts I should just ask you Vanessa did you like this movie? I remember thinking it was pretty fun. Um, every flash memory I've got of it is like a pretty epic battle of some kind. It's got like the Vlad the Impaler feel to it, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For sure. It, it, was, it was pretty, I, I, I remember it being fun enough, but I don't remember anything about the plot. So I don't know what that says about <laughs> it. Okay. So it starts with the wraparound segment with the son of Dracula. Uh, and he's recounting the history of his dad. And this all falls apart very quickly because he was a boy during all of this story that's being told. And there's all sorts of things going on that he could have no knowledge of. So uh, as soon as they start doing this, I'm like, why, why did it doesn't need to be told by his son? 
But, uh, oh well. So we learn that in the Middle Ages, the Sultan of Turkey would acquire young boys and train them to become great warriors. And one of these boys was Vlad, uh, who became known as the Impaler after his use of wooden stakes to display those they killed as a form of psychological warfare. So ultimately, somehow this kind of slave boy rises up through the ranks and becomes the Prince of Transylvania. So then we are now in the present day of this story. Um, so. Vlad and uh, his team of warriors, uh, they, they're scouting out in the woods and they discover a Turkish helmet in the river. And they're like, shit, what are they doing here? And they're looking up and they're like, it would have had to have come up from that mountain. That's where the stream is coming. So we'll just follow the stream towards us. So they do that and they, uh, they're searching now, get you for, for like a Turkish scouting party or something is that they're worried about and instead they find a cave up in the mountains and uh, they go in there thinking that that's where the men are hiding and it is not it is a uh, master vampire who kills them all except for Vlad because he was just lucky enough to have like the sun at his back and and he realized that uh, that's what was keeping the vampire away the master vampire is played by Charles Dance um he's just a very striking and recognizable guy i think he was in game of thrones i never watched that but he was mm -hmm. the bad guy in uh that schwarzenegger movie the last action hero with the eye that would change out he's just i just love him as an actor um so vlad escapes gets back to his people and everything and they're he's he's very uh quiet about what happened he's told a priest what's going on and the priest is like oh Vampiros and all this stuff, and uh, but he's making sure that the rest of his his uh, people don't know anything about this. But the following day, as everyone is celebrating Easter, the Turks arrive unexpected. A big army of them, or not an army, a, um, a procession of them, soldiers who have come in, and uh, Vlad offers them silver as kind of a tribute. But the envoy demands that one thousand boys from Dracula's uh, surrounding areas will be given over for service in the Turkish army. So Vlad says, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. But after <laughs> killing a few of them and sending the rest away, it's pretty obvious that the Turks can come in and take whatever they want. So he has kind of doomed them all to a very bad death. So realizing that he's going to need more power in order to defend his territory and his people, um, Vlad goes back up to the cave and makes a bargain with the vampire. <clears throat> And uh, the vampire agrees, offers Vlad some of his blood, which infuses Vlad with the powers of the vampire and everything. And I like this little catch. Um, the vampire explains that the power will last for three days, during which time Vlad will be tempted to drink human blood. But if he can withstand the urge, then he will be restored back to his human form. And I was like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> you know, what do you think happens? <laughs> I think he makes it. <laughs> oh, okay. Your memory <laughs> is faulty. Um, <laughs> so he gets back just in time to see that the Turks have attacked Castle Dracula, which is fucking amazing in this movie. It, it's like something out of uh, Lord of the Rings. But if you've ever seen Castle Dracula in real life, it's like one little tower and a room off to the side. But, you know, Hollywood. <laughs> um <laughs> So Vlad just wades into this attacking army and starts killing them. And it's a great scene. Um, Eric, do you remember that script I wrote a hundred years ago that had the vampires kind of exploding into a bunch of bats to kind of oh, yeah. 
explain yeah. mass of human versus mass of bat. That doesn't work. But if the mass of bats make up a human, that does work. So I was like, oh, this is going to be so cool. Well, uh, we never got to make that. But these guys had the same fucking idea. And it's amazing. Um, Vlad, <laughs> Vlad just goes in and starts killing people. But every once in a while. And now he's being attacked on all sides and soldiers running past and all that stuff. And he's just grabbing one and throwing them around. And then he'll suddenly explode into this flurry of bats and fly right out one and basically strip him to the bone and then turn back into a human and grab somebody's sword. It's a really great fucking scene. Um, there's uh, after that, there's a scene where uh, the people he's trying to protect find out about his powers and they turn on him and he chastises them pretty well, letting them know that he has made the sacrifice to save their worthless lives and they'd be dead now if it wasn't for him. And he's like, fuck you. And he leaves. But then the Turks attack again. And this time he does this. This movie is so much fun. <laughs> this time he stands, <laughs> he stands on this tower while the Turks are all coming in. And, and then there's, it's like a scene out of 300. There's a million men down below and, and his little tiny group of guys. And he, uh, he kind of raises his hand to the sky and you start seeing, you know, one or two bats, 10 bats. And then it's just a zillion bats in the sky. And he starts controlling them with his mind, but he's moving his hand around and all these various things. And, and he'll make a fist with his hand and the bats like swirl up into the air and kind of take the form of a fist. And then he slams his fist down on the ground and the bats go slamming onto the ground, killing all these guys. It's a really fucking great scene. You guys, this is free on prime right now. <laughs> or maybe HBO max. So not quite free. Um, so unfortunately, his wife is killed by the Turks and his son is kidnapped and his wife begs him to drink the last of her blood so that he can continue to keep his powers and save their son. Well, will he do it? Well, Vanessa, already, I already know your answer. You, you already said. <laughs> um, there is also a really cool scene where he and Dominic Cooper face off because Dominic Cooper is the leader of the Turks. Um <laughs> Both of these very handsome young men are uh, princes and uh, great warriors and all this stuff. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But um, they face off in this sword fight at the end where um, Dominic Cooper has realized, oh, this guy is not human, but he has a weakness to silver. And I was okay with this kind of takeoff on the, the mythology of the silver thing because he tricks Vlad into this big, huge tent where they're going to have this sword fight, but hanging from the ceiling are all these bags of silver coins. And uh, uh, Dominic Cooper will slash the coins and they all spill out and fall and they're reflecting back at him. And, and anytime he falls and slips on him, if his skin touches the silver, it starts to smoke and turn into fire and everything. I'm like, this is a pretty great scene. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. It's, uh, it's, it's 300 with vampires, basically. <laughs> So, <clears throat> trivia. Uh, the screenplay for the film was featured in the 2006 Blacklist. Uh, the Blacklist, as you guys know, but maybe the listeners don't, is a list of the most liked unmade scripts of the year. And agents and directors will often comb through those and see, you know, oh, here's a script that everybody loved and never got made. So, uh, Sam Worthington was originally slated to star before being replaced by Luke Evans. And this was when the film was being made by Alex Proyas. And it was going to be called Dracula Year Zero. <laughs> yeah, not my favorite. 
the movie was in production before Universal decided to build a new cinematic universe. And so the producers caught wind of it just in time to independently add a present-day epilogue mm-hmm. that Universal could use if they wanted to. It's a, it's a pretty cool scene. Uh, I liked it. Um, but it was ultimately decided that Dracula Untold would not be the first entry in the Universal Monsters Cinematic Universe. That instead became Tom Cruise's The Mummy, which was much, much worse. Um, <laughs> and then finally, body count in this movie? 5,687. Ooh, that's a lot of <laughs> uh, dead people. Of which Vlad kills 5,419 personally. So <laughs> I, uh, I've had so much fun with this movie. I, I was just like, what? first of all, I'm not sure why I didn't want to see it when it came out. I'm sure it was just all the bad reviews. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah, this is one I would recommend to anybody who likes vampire movies. Oh, man, I'm glad you had such a good time with it. And, you know, I don't know. I was a little nervous. I I think we both chose something that's a slightly more recent universal picture. And uh, yeah, that's it's too bad that wasn't the entry into the dark universe, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Next. Well, um, I guess that would be me. So... uh, yeah, I I decided I've only seen I think the first the mummy movie. And so uh I was like I'm not going to watch the second the mummy movie. I'm going to go straight for the third the mummy the movie. So I went with uh The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor from 2008. After 2000 years a mystery lost to time is about to be unearthed. It's the tomb of the Dragon Emperor and his army. And a legendary evil will be awoken. Sorry, pal. There's a mummy on the loose. From Universal Pictures. Good going, Dad. He raised another mummy in his tomb. Said he had control of the five elements. They never play fair. And the producers of The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. How exactly he was supposed to fend them off? When the Emperor built the Great Wall, he buried his enemies underneath it. I will call them to battle once again. So these are the good undead guys, right? This summer. And you can fasten your seatbelts, but it was too cheap to buy any. <laughs> Why am I laughing? Beyond death, beyond imagination, lies an adventure that will live for all eternity. Mummy, Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. This was also just a cusp before the the dark universe was was underway. Um, This has a Rotten Tomato score of 13% from critics and 30% from audience. So was this after The Rock showed up? Yeah. So he's not in this one? No. Oh, this is okay. Jet Li. Oh, 
I, I don't think I even and knew Michelle this was a movie. Yeah, I know. I was like, I didn't know who was in it or I knew there was a third mummy movie, but I had no idea who was in it. And um, it has some pretty exciting casting. Um, it was directed by Rob Cohen, who uh, we have talked about before with uh, your movie, Kelly Dragonheart. Uh, Daylight, The Skulls, also Kelly's movie. Uh, Fast and the Furious, Triple <laughs> X, Boy Next Door, and Hurricane Heist. Mm. Cannot recommend that last one. It's bad. Um, he also <laughs> produced Thank God It's Friday and Monster Squad and Witches of Eastwick. So he's been around for a while. Um, the, it was written by Alfred Goh. Uh, he's written 25 things. He wrote 217 episodes of Smallville. I am number four, Spider-Man 2, Lethal Weapon 4, um, and lots of TV. He, I think, is uh, partnered with a guy named um, uh, Miles, uh, Alfred Miles Miller, who, oh, sorry, with um, Miles Miller. He's done 25 things and they're all like the same. <laughs> so I think that they must have been working together as a, as a writing team. And then, of course, it's based on the John L. Balderston 1932 screenplay um who also had written the dracula frankenstein mummy and bride of frankenstein etc movies in the 30s this movie starring a lot of people brendan fraser 77 things most recently of course we know him in doom patrol um also um he's doing a lot of tv right now like the affair trust condor he did do some VO work for G.I. Joe, Rise of the Cobra, and some uh, VO work for Fairly Odd Parents. I'm guessing because he had a, a little bit of a weight gain, or I don't know if that's why, but um, but we would know him and love him from things like The Mummy Films, Bedazzled, Blast from the Past, George of the Jungle, Airheads, Encino Man, and Inkheart. Um, and he will be in the upcoming 2022 Batgirl movie. So look out for him there. I don't know quite what he'll be doing in it, but we also have Jet Li starring in this. He's been in 50 things. Most recently, we saw him in Mulan, um, also in The Expendables, The One, Fearless, Kiss of the Dragon, Hero, Lethal Weapon 4, Once Upon a Time in China, and many, many more films. Uh, Maria Bello is in this, and she is replacing Rachel Weisz um, in a very unsmooth one for one swap out of characters where it's like <laughs> it's bad it's bad how they introduce her they're just like oh like she's doing a book reading of like the book that she's written an adventure series about mummies and like they like reveal her face around this book and she's like oh am i not who you expected it's like <laughs> no you aren't and you're not as good <laughs> is she playing the same character exact same character oh and it makes it much worse because it's like years later so you're like did you just not age well and you're a different <laughs> personality i don't know <laughs> but you're both you're both you know english women so there you go so she's been in 69 things she's she was in uh ncis and starred as a main character jack sloan she was also in lights out prisoners history of violence and she did a lot of er uh, Michelle Yao is in this film. Um, she's been in 67 things. She will be in the upcoming Avatar 2, 3, 4, and 5. Oh my God. I know. They're oh, all man. on her IMDb. So I don't know. I guess they really think <laughs> they, this next one's going to fly. There was a trailer for it before Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. Not in, it, 
I think it looks like the same effects. I'm going, okay. So anyways, to yeah. continue. <laughs> um, I know I'm not excited either. Um, I don't think anyone's excited. Uh, she was also in the Witcher miniseries, which I didn't realize. Um, but she, I did know she was in Star Trek Discovery. Um, and we've also seen her in a lot of things recently, like Shang-Chi, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Boss Level, Crazy Rich Asians. And she's been around for a long time as a real incredible, <laughs> as a real incredible force. Uh, like things like Kung Fu Panda too, you know. And tomorrow never dies. Anyway, Luke Ford uh, has been in 42 things. He plays the son who is way too old to be um, Brendan Fraser and Mario Bello's child. Uh, Age-wise, they would have had to have had him when they were 13 years old for this to make sense. It is extremely weird casting. Um, <laughs> however, he he did a great job, but... Um, he, I think this movie might have tanked his career because after this, he's he's really only done small TV stints, um, short films, and two movies that of note, including Animal Kingdom and The Black Balloon, neither of which I've seen. So I, I think he didn't do great after this. Isabella Long similarly plays the cute young Chinese um, counterpart to him, who he's crushing on, and they have a lot of rapport with. Um, she did a number of Chinese films before this, but this was her last film until 2015. She's only done three movies since this film came out. Um, and then John Hanna, of course, is in this again as Andrew. We know him from, um, gosh, so many things. Uh, but Sliding Doors is the one that I talked about him a lot in, but he's also in Four Weddings and a Funeral. He's in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, Spartacus TV series, Resurrection Man, been around a long time. Uh, and yeah, and then we have a smaller bit role from Liam Cunningham, who is Davos Seaworth in uh, Game of Thrones. So that was exciting. I was like, who are you? Oh, you're Davos, the Onion Knight. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, the plot. Um, all right. So uh, there's a lot of setup. So I'm going to give you a lot of setup and then you don't really have to worry about the rest. Um, we begin in a long-ago ancient China. A warlord is fighting to unite the country's kingdoms and ultimately become the emperor. He's obsessed with power and has built the Great Wall of China. Um, and along the way, buried a bunch of bodies in it of those who opposed him and or just died while building the wall. Those will definitely come back later. Why else would they mention it? Um, although he uh, was successful, he felt like he had a lot more left to do in his life and had way too much to accomplish in just one lifetime. So he sent his best friend and second in command, Ming, out to go find this witch out in the mountains who is rumored to know the secret of eternal uh, life. And that is Michelle Yao. Um, she says she does not have it, but she knows where to find it. And working together with General Ming, they find the long lost Oracle of Bones, which holds the key to life. Despite the emperor having a huge thing for her, Ming and Ji, uh, which is Michelle, uh, Young, yes, Michelle Yao's character, fall in love. And um, when she helps the emperor, she asks one thing in return, and that's that she's allowed to be with and marry Ming. He initially agrees, but as soon as she does the spell that grants him immortality, he double crosses her, ties a bunch of horses to Ming, and has them all run away from each other. <laughs> Pretty brutal. I was like, damn, they just 
I don't know. I don't, it's not, is that drawn and quartered? I don't know quite which one it is where you have the horses pull a person apart. It's quartered if it's four horses. Four horses. Yeah. Yeah, So just not drawn. One Um, per limb. Yep. (laughs) Uh, He then, the emperor then demands that she marries him and instead she curses him. He turns into this sort of CGI pile of mud and he's like barfing mud everywhere. And then he becomes lava and he's barfing lava everywhere. And then he turns into stone and him and his entire army become the terracotta, terracotta warriors that we know and love today. So meanwhile, uh, if we go back to the past future um, of whatever magical time, right after World War II, I think this is meant to be, Rick and Evelyn, not Rachel Weiss, are hanging out and retired. He's taken up fly fishing, which he does badly. And he lives with her at Downton Abbey, I believe. (laughs) Live in a very nice home. Um, they, she's become an adventure novelist doing live readings. Um, and neither of them wants to admit that their desire to continue adventuring is still there, even though they promised each other that they were done with it. Their son, Alex O'Connell, who again is way too old to be their kid. Um, he is off on an archaeology mission with his professor, Roger. Uh, they are digging around in the tomb of the um, Chinese warlord that we were hanging out with not so long ago. Um, They're digging him out, which is really bad because if he gets dug out and gets exposed to certain elements, he could rise again. As they're going along, um, they get attacked by somebody who seems to be defending the tomb, a mysterious, beautiful woman. Um, However, uh, he does manage to unearth the terracotta warriors, Um, and the emperor, and bring them to a museum in Shanghai. Uh, Although they're still in their stone states, it is kind of a fun scene. There's like a lot of um, traps. So you get to see a lot of traps. Do enjoy that. People getting (laughs) trapped. So good stuff. Rick and Evelyn are approached by the British government to return a rare gemstone called the Eye of Shangri-La back to China, desiring another fun adventure they agree. Now, I wonder if the eye... The stone has anything to do with potentially raising up the emperor. My God, it probably will. <laughs> so they take it and they fall. Um, they they arrive and go into Jonathan, as we remember from the previous two movies, that that crazy, crazy John Hanna character. Um, he uh, it has a hopping bar in Shanghai. It's super happen in place. And it's called Imahotep. there's a lot of like like women doing like the can can but in like all all egyptian like long hair wigs and the gold flappy dresses very very exciting a lot of money thrown at this movie he tries to hide the fact that alex is there their son uh at the bar just then um because alex is supposed to be i believe in college and instead he has run away from school and is excavating um they discover that and get into a big argument with him. And he basically says, you guys aren't in my life anymore. Screw off. And they're like, you know what? We need to stay here and improve our relationship with our son. I feel like there's all this backstory. I don't think any of this was in Mummy 2. I think they're just making up all this plot. It's really 
awful. They decide as a way to support him, they'll go and check out his precious thing that he dug up, this this museum pieces of terracotta warriors. And of course, Brennan Fraser's like, this is stupid. I don't care. This isn't that impressive. Why can't we just leave tombs lying? Why do we have to dig them up at all? And I'm like, because the previous two movies that you... Anyway fun so he's like um yeah so good job son i guess or whatever and he plays a very bad awkward dad he's not good at this role um and then of course the professor roger double crosses them uh it turns out that he is working with this sort of subsect of um the chinese government this sort of military group who uh are really um, displeased with where China is at after World War II. They feel like it's a huge mess. And so what they want to do is bring all of um, China back together under the leadership of the emperor who um, they would like to raise from the dead. So there's there a lot of fighting <laughs> and stuff. And they get the stone and they get the emperor and the emperor turns from the CGI stone to like a moving CGI stone and he's running around and he's chucking off pieces of himself and he re- regrows it for some completely unknown reason. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of just adventuring. There's just a lot of zany adventuring now. They must chase him across various parts of China, including through ba- definitely not Tibet. It's definitely not Tibet. It's it's the mountain <laughs> village that is not Tibet for sure. And then they get to Shangri-La and they're, they're there and, um, he has to get a stone to become the emperor again, but then he also has to get the waters of life to become the emperor again. And he's got to raise his army. And we end up with CGI yetis. We get um, the emperor becomes a three-headed dragon for some completely unknown reason that I think they put a piece of VO in to like explain. I don't, I don't know. It happened too quickly. Um, there is a spectacularly well-aged Michelle Yao who uh, is still defending one little piece of turf. She's still going because she has eternal life. She just didn't really give it to the other guy. There's a lot of couples bickering um, and resolving, a lot of falling in love between the son and the Asian lady who is defending the tomb and now they're working together. There's a lot of father and son growing closer after arguing about what gun is the coolest in the worst set of dialogue I've heard in a long time. Oh, well, a Tommy gun jams. So you don't want to use that. That's not a very good gun. Oh, well, this gun's cool. It is so dumb. I just don't care. Um, There's an avalanche. There's gunfire. There is um, some really good martial arts work that you can't see because they decided to go shaky cam and they're also close up through a lot of the fighting, which does not work for a lot of martial arts. cinematography. You need to be further back to see and to enjoy it. Instead, you're like right here and you're like, gently and Michelle, yeah, we're fighting. Could we see it, please? Uh, the answer is no. Um, eventually there is a giant fight battle involving two completely different sets of raised army mummies. And, um, do the father and son have to work together to defeat the, the guy? Probably. Does the the young girl who um, her entire life has been trained to kill the emperor and knows how to do it and has the right weapon, does she get to do it? Probably not. No. <laughs> so this movie, um, it sucks. <laughs> um, there's so much awful about this summation. <laughs> yeah, to, to sum it up, here's what sucks about it. Brendan Fraser is he enters this period of his acting where he's just whiny and irritating. Every, I don't know if it's the director or what, but his response to everything is like, 
like he does this thing with his voice and you just want to kill him. Um, I had a huge crush on Brendan Fraser as a, as a young, young girl. So to me, it's just awful. It is that moment when he stopped being anything worth looking at and just being like irritating as fuck. Uh, this was the time. So, um, Oh my. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the son is not the strongest part. He's an okay actor. Um, but they just, I don't know. They don't do a very good job of writing this father son thing. Neither of them acted or terribly well um there's a lot of chinese fanfare the director was kind of obsessed with china and i think that's part of the reason why it was actually a colossal success um not necessarily this this movie was a colossal success yeah it was i must have skipped this the budget for it was 145 million the box office was 403.4 million i don't feel like i even heard about this movie you probably wouldn't have because it didn't make its money back in the U.S. Um, yeah, and I'll get to that in a second in the trivia. Um, the fight scenes, like I said, they're really messy. They're really terrible. And Jet Li just seems awful in this movie. Like, he's not very good. And there's also a reason for that, which I'll get to in the trivia. What part did he play? Was he the emperor? He was the emperor. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, what I like about it, Michelle Yao is great. She's super good. She's super committed. She's fun. All the ancient history bits, I think, are actually pretty cool. Um, there's a lot of fun locations and set pieces and costumes. It's just that, like, the script is just awful. Um, I think the fireworks, there's a fireworks chase that's really fun. There's terracotta warriors, like, with the traps and everything. That's pretty fun. All the, It should be a good movie, but it's just not. It was the highest, sorry, the highest grossing the highest grossing movie um, that opened that night. Um, it lost out <laughs> after a couple of days, but it initially did beat out Dark Knight that for that particular weekend. I don't think it was Dark Knight's first weekend, Jeez. but it did beat it out that night. Um, it did really well in international markets. It was number one in Korea, Russia, Spain, Thailand. And while it only made 102.5 domestically, it made 301 overseas. So this was a huge hit overseas. Um, Rachel Weiss did not appear in this movie. Um, And instead, of course, the character Evie was played by Maria Bello. There are different accounts of what happened. According to the director, Rob Cohen, it was because Weiss refused to portray someone with a 21-year-old son. Um, Weiss uh, simply did not like the script enough to sign on. Um, rumors circulated that Vice chose not to be separated from her toddler son at the time, but she since made it clear that that had no impact on her decision whatsoever because she actually starred in two other films that exact same year. So, um, yeah. Brendan Fraser... I'm going to go with the script. I'm going to go with the script, too. I mean, also, I guess the age thing could be part of the script. She's probably reading it and going, why would she... Why would they have a son in his 20s if they're in their you know, late thirties, early forties. Like this doesn't make any sense. Brendan Fraser, who plays Rick. Oh yeah. Was born in 1968. Maria Bella was born in 1967. And Luke Ford, who played their son was uh, born in 81, which makes him 13 years younger. Um, Since Jet Li was only available for part of the shoot, it was decided that the emperor would be either a rotting mummy or encased in terracotta and most of his scenes so that Lee could play the emperor in the flesh and the remainder of the role would be done entirely in CGI. So that's probably why he sucks. Yeah. 
So only in flashbacks is he actually Jet Li. Uh, the filmmakers originally considered bringing back Arnold Vosloo as Imhotep, except at uh, this time, he's a kind of like a last resort ally who would help the heroes defend the dragon emperor. Vasilou hated the script and didn't want to make a money mummy movie without Stephen Summers, so he declined to return. Oded Fair was also asked to reprise his role as Ardeth Bay. Fair declined um, because Imhotep was not in the film, and he felt like there was if there's no Imhotep, then why would his character be there? Um, the crossbow traps in the tomb scene were actually based on a real thing, um, according to the Chinese archaeologists when they excavated the Quin. Kin Dynasty terracotta army in Xi'an. It was progressing so slowly because the site was filled with similar traps. I think is awesome. I also still wonder why the terracotta warriors are what they are. And I've been to the exhibit and they're cool. But anyway, um, the Himalayan mountain scenes were actually filmed on a soundstage in sweltering summer heat. Maria Bello claimed that she was only wearing a bra under her coat. Um, in a closing scene, a text, uh, a screen text reveals that mummies um, were soon thereafter discovered in Peru, which is where Jonathan goes off to. He's like, I don't want to be anywhere where mummies are ever again and gets in a plane. He's like, I'm off to Peru with his giant diamond. Of course, they're like, and there are mummies in Peru discovered shortly after. A possible stinger for a sequel, basically, is what that was meant to be. Uh, Peru is home of the ancient Inca civilization, which is also mummified. Um, And there was indeed going to be a third sequel called The Mummy Four Rise of the Aztecs. But since Aztecs are not native to Mexico, it probably would have been set in Peru. Um, It probably would not have been set in Peru. Brendan Fraser was cast in the film and he was signed on for the sequel as well as Antonio Banderas would have played the main antagonist. However, the film was canceled in favor of the reboot of The Mummy in 2017. (laughs) After the failure of The Mummy, this project was also scrapped. Um, It has a comic that came out along with it called The Mummy Movie Prequel, The Rise and Fall of uh, Zhang Zhou's Axe. Um, This was to explore the relationship between Rick and his son Alex. Sierra Entertainment made a game version of The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor for Wii, PlayStation 2, and Nintendo DS. It had mostly negative reviews. And of course, Roger Ebert said um, he gave this film a positive review, awarding it three stars out of four, remarking, now, why did I like this movie? It was just plain dumb fun. That's why. Roger, you got to stop being wrong, son. You just got to <laughs> not do it anymore. Um, yeah. I know. Um, anyway so that was my movie don't see it i mean like there's things unless you're a mummy completionist if you're a mummy completionist then by all means but if you want to see michelle yao and jet lee fight there are two other movies that they star in together i forgot to write them down but there are at least two so you don't have to watch this one wow i will uh i will take your i will heed your warning on this one yeah maybe watch the first 15 minutes with the ancient china that's fun (laughs) (laughs) stop watching as soon as you see Brendan Fraser or take a shot one of the two oh my (laughs) how you proceed with the film from there is up to you so Eric I also bizarrely enough did a mummy movie (laughs) (laughs) but a very different time frame this is Curse of the Mummy's Tomb
a curse which says that all persons present at the opening of a pharaoh's coffin and who gaze at the face of the mummy therein shall die. So uh, we're going back to Hammer. It's been a while since we've talked about a Hammer film. Hmm. Uh, This is available to rent lots of places, or it's part of the Hammer 20 movie pack. Nice. Which is full of just all the more obscure, unusual. Snorkel is on this one that I talked about in a previous episode. Bring that over Uh, someday. I shall. It's pretty good. Thank you. This does not have a single review on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, nothing. <laughs> so, sure. budget, box office, who knows? <laughs> Someone does, but it's not me. Uh, this was directed by uh, Michael Carreras, I believe I say his name, who was uh, much better known as a producer for Hammer. He produced 76 films, directed just a few, including uh, Maniac, Prehistoric Woman, uh, Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, and Shatter. He did a little bit. He's also on the screenplay of this one. He also wrote uh, One Million Years B.C. and uh, The Lost Continent. The stars, not really of the, none of the major regulars of Hammer, but some Hammer alum. Uh, Terrence Morgan, who's also in Hamlet and Tread Softly Stranger and The Sea Pirate. Sure. Ronald Howard. So, you know, close. He had 93 credits, so he's been a lot of stuff. Combat! Exclamation point. The TV show. Uh, Flesh and Blood and tons of more television. Fred Clark, Sunset Boulevard. Anti-Name, which I apparently auto-corrected to Anti-Name. White Heat and the Beverly Hillbillies. And Janine Roland, who is Casino Royale, You Only Live Twice, and the TV version of The Avengers and The Saint. And uh, apparently he's one of the top models of the 60s. So the film starts off fairly bluntly with a guy getting tied up and uh, his hand cut off and then subsequently killed. I was like, oh, okay. I was going to start right in on this one. And uh, 
moved to a scene of a man and a woman very oddly flirting. Um, he's like trying to get me drunk. He's like, not here, but I will when we get back to England. <laughs> it's like, when you get back to England, I may not have to be drunk. It's like, okay. Um, so they, then they're disturbed by people bringing in the body of the guy that just got killed and unceremoniously being dropped on the ground by people. The film is, the beginning part is sort of like, you know, in Aliens, you've got the guy who wants to bring back the sample so he yeah. can make money off of it. This has one of those kind of characters. The first thing he wants to bring back and introduce is a wonderful candy that uh, somebody accidentally names Turkish Delight. We're going to be bringing that back and selling it. Uh, but uh, so that goes on with the usual battle back and forth between the money guy and the guy who wants to bring art and history to museums. And he wants to take the mummy and travel around the country with it. Um, so they eventually get back to England, of course. I kind of think that if you're unpacking a mummy's tomb and the mummy stuff that you treat it with a little bit more carefully than the men unpacking this tomb, <laughs> but, uh, no, no, they're the usual. It's well drunk, throw things around, fall asleep in a crate kind of guys. Uh, so there, I think there's sort of be kind of a comedy relief thing that doesn't really work. Um, the, on the trip back though, on the ship, they're attacked by some guy who's uh, talking about the curse and how it's that. And they just toss him overboard and are done with that. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Problem solved. Um, there's a nice flashback scene where you get to see that the leader on a lot of mummy movies, the mummies tend to be like either mistreated or slaves or secondary. The money in this movie was a uh, to be emperor and uh, was um, incredibly white considering all the people around him. <laughs> but you know, 64 hammer. So the, uh, the subtle racism is, is not weak in this film. Um, the one thing they did that was kind of neat when they did the flashback for this particular scene, they used the hammer theme from the original 1959 mummy in the music, which is, is very recognizable. So it's like, oh, that's cool. Um, and uh, what would be uh, Vanessa's least favorite scene in this film, it's a very 60s scene between a man and a woman where she's talking about, they're talking about how intelligent she is yeah, and yeah. how well that intelligence could be used as home as well as it is in the university. No. <laughs> and then she thanks him for pointing that out and what a good idea it is. No. <laughs> Why are you here at the school, youngin? <laughs> You should, really, yes. you should really spend that at home. That's where that belongs. That's right. Suck. <laughs> and then the uh, interesting line from the education guy about the, I don't know, future of art in general. If money is to be the judge of the success of education, I fear for the future. <laughs> Too late. Lots of nice little things going on with sarcophagus and it's a good general mummy movie. There's not any new ground being broken on here. There's a, the, the scene where he introduces the uh, mummy. He does a, like a, here's the show I'm going to have on the road. And the guy introduces the show and they, they do a flashback scene in there with the music. And it works really well. 
And of course, and the reveal at this point in front of a crowd, guess what's not in the sarcophagus? <laughs> the mummy's already on the loose. Ooh. Um, and talks about the curse and all that stuff. So it is a solid film. It's Hammer, so I wanted to see it. But mummy movies as a whole have never been one of my yeah. things. And this film has some of those same problems, although the mummy's a little bit more energetic and a little bit more interesting. It's a neat-looking mummy. The makeup is well done. And the uh, attacks on people are done well enough. Uh, the the hand-cutting thing comes back like three or four people get their hands cut off and relatively bloody for uh, the time period. Uh, and it ties into the, the beginning, ties into the end nicely with that. So it's, it's a well-done, good old-fashioned Hammer film. Looks phenomenal. Mm. Holy shit, the remastering on this is gorgeous. Mm. Uh, so some notes on this film. And if you're a Hammer fan, I'd say definitely worth checking out. It's well worth seeing. Um, Hammer originally offered this project to Universal <laughs> in 1963. And they said, nah, we're good. Interesting. Uh, the oh, as I mentioned, masterfully remastered for Blu-ray on that Ultimate Hammer collection. It's got a bunch of taglines. <laughs> yeah, it lives again to kill again. I like it. I like it. <laughs> that was clunky. Five thousand year old monster on the rampage. <laughs> oh boy! Also clunky. <laughs> Out of the ancient pharaoh's tomb stalks a monster of monsters with a lust for vengeance and a thirst for terror. Little long. Little <laughs> long. Little long. Jeez. Half bone, half bondage, all blood curdling terror. I That's love it. Better. <laughs> half That's bone, better. half bondage. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Wait, half the, bone, half bandage. It must be bandage, probably. Okay. That's not that as much fun, sense. though, is it? <laughs> um, the the uh, model I mentioned at the beginning that was in the James Bond movies and stuff, her voice was dubbed to the entire film, and which is a weird choice because I thought they gave her some kind of an, an, an accent, and I'm like, wow, she has a weird voice. It's interesting that they kept that under the because time frame they usually get rid of people's accents a lot more in hammer films and other films in the late six or early 60s but no that was a dubbed <laughs> one that added the accent in maybe like, she was oh, exotic that's okay. <laughs> yeah she is she's a uh, multiple race i forget what her other race was but she's a uh, uh biracial actress uh george pastel plays a high priest and devotee of the gods of ancient Egypt in both this film and the previous Hammer 1959, The Mummy. Plays the same role. Cool. Uh, Australian release of the poster took the painting of Jean Roland, and she was altered to appear heavily gagged rather than screaming. Interesting. Strange choice, but all right. Hmm. This is also the title of a Goosebumps book. <laughs> I wonder if I read it. And I came across a uh, ridiculous error that was supposed to be in the movie, where when he's talking about the history of the film, it's like, well, this is just a slideshow. But as the, it goes on, suddenly it becomes a movie. I'm like, because it's a flashback, you dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> 
but hey, you know, he thought he was being clever and pointing it out. <laughs> oh, no. And one other thing, there's a Curse of the Mummy Tomb board game published in 1988. It has a full three-dimensional board representing the Egyptian period and small play- playing period. So it, uh, the idea is to reach the top of the pyramid and complete the elixir of life. Just like in the movies. Fun. <laughs> so that is the Curse of the Mummy's Tomb, which I'd say is an enjoyable watch, but is not on the top of even the mummy movies for Hammer. <laughs> right. Uh, question. Does your Hammer box set have that original 1959 mummy movie in it? No. Oh. No, these are more almost all like Maniac and... Uh, Sherwood Forest pirate movies, just kind of there more. One, uh, one Frankenstein one, The Revenge of Frankenstein, and then the rest are all more obscure stuff. Yeah, because that mummy, the other mummy one, that's one that I did, right? The Christopher Lee. With uh, Lee, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Do you have that Blue yeah. Raven? Oh, I've been trying to watch that and I can't find it. Oh, you can borrow it. Thank you. <laughs> how's that um how's that asian horror film i gave you six months ago going <laughs> it's, it's still hanging out ready to watch any minute now you've been sick as a dog you should uh have watched it <laughs> i know i i i chose very specific things to watch that were very low-key instead <laughs> Nice. Well, I, I found this to be a very fun topic, and it's probably because yeah. I picked a very fun movie. So uh, that, that means, Eric, Eric, it is up to you for the next subgenre choice. Ooh. Oh, well, all right. Let's do something a little more visceral, I guess. Movies involving uh, kidnappings or and or ransoms. Oh, huh. God. Okay. <laughs> Those often lead to fun, lighthearted Antics. <laughs> right. Right. Can I just okay. say I haven't enjoyed watching intense movies lately. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there are some weird comedy thing out there that could be uh Vanessa doesn't like Kemp comedy. That's oh, that's true. right. You're screwed. I'm, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is where we thank everybody for uh participating in the value for value model, just as yes. my mother did and Micah did Aww. just recently. Thank you. And Mom. uh and thank everybody for liking, sharing posts, all of that stuff. We really could not do this without you. Um, so just got to say, we really, really appreciate all of that. Yeah. Thank you. Love the commenting on the episodes and stuff. Keep that coming. And, uh, yes. And gets a lot of comments. So thank the you. race to post. We do take notice of who wins each week, who posts first. <laughs> That's we right. We have a, a private... Uh, ongoing look and we we wait and we go who's it gonna be and then we lose respect for those who don't so that's right continue to be the first continue to struggle and fight for it no we're just so happy anybody anybody comments thank you for that exactly all right guys that's it uh let's get back here one week from today and we're going to be talking about kidnapping or ransom movies bye Green Gion's Radio is artisanal quality podcasting, handcrafted with all natural ingredients, and edited to perfection by Eric Margaret. Our blistering theme song is Strange Gion's Part 1 by the band Nightshade and is used with permission. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider dropping a positive review on Apple Podcasts.
girlfriend. I thought they were stupid and boring. 